Our DT Systems, the Wrap 1400 or 1400 if you like doing it that way, but it's the Wrap 1400. It's a collar that is super reliable, ready to rock, and it's super handy because you can hold it in your hand while you're shooting your shotgun during duck season. So it's a cool unit for you and your dog come hunting season so that you've got control over any situation. Anything the dog throws at you during the hunt is right there, easy and accessible. Bingo, bango, bongo. If you don't want that one, check out the H. 201820. It's the DT Systems and it's dog tested, dog tough. Hashtag man's best kennel, baby. That's Gunner Kennels. Man, let's talk about these crates because when it hits the fan, you want your dog protected. It's an investment emotionally and financially to keep your hunting buddy safe. If you'd like to get into a Gunner Kennel, slide into the DMs and we'll hook you up. But do your best friend a favor and keep them safe this duck season. It's force fetch, baby. It's the number one question we get asked. You don't know how to fix it? Let me help you. Let me get you to your goals. We built a course, bunch of videos. I think there's 13 or 14 videos start to finish on how you and your dog can get through the force fetch process successfully. The link's in the description. Be sure to check it out and let me help you and your dog. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Lone Ducks Gundog Chronicles, baby. We got my buddy in studio. This is two for two in studio podcast guests. Quality's up. Quality of guests is high. We're going to have a great show, great conversation. I've got KD Matthews from Socratic Canine all the way from Florida. Drove all the way up here, maybe to see us, maybe just to, you know, bounce around and do his summer road trip, but he's here <laughs> and he got to train with us today and have some fun. So I'm really, really excited to have him on our show. It's going to be f- mainly fun, I think. I mean, we'll talk a lot about dogs and dog training and dog psychology and, and this and that and the other thing, but we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. But you know what we got to do first? A little bit of homework, a little bit of house cleaning that you can nuba, baby, the food that fuels the truck of Lone Duck. I'm giving you the challenge. You've heard it before. The three-month you can nuba challenge. Get yourself the 30-20. Get yourself the 26-16. If you got a young dog in there on that puppy formula, try it for three months. That's three bags. Tell me that you're not happy and you know my brother Kevin will buy you a bag, I swear. He's not here to defend it, but I swear. So by that three-month challenge, try it out and tell me you're not pleased with the performance of the dog, the coat, the teeth, how they're holding their weight, energy level, all the things that we're looking for to feed our competitors. But it takes about that three bags to have that dog's body fully adjust to the new dog food so that you can see the differences. So try the three-month challenge, baby. Next up, Gunner Kennels. You know it, I know it, it's man's best kennel. There's not another company in our game that shares the same values of the unspoken bond like Gunner Kennels. They have put hours and money to develop a kennel that keeps your dog safe when you're rolling down the road. If you'd like to get into a Gunner Kennel, you can shoot us a direct message. We'd be happy to get you one ship to your door. 
You won't be disappointed. I promise. Next up, Dogtra. The collar that is in my pocket from the minute I wake up to the minute I go to bed is the Edge RT. It's a versatile unit. It's a three-dog unit. It's got great range, great durability, great um, stimulation levels where I can really fine-tune it to a low level or I can jack it up and get a tougher correction if need be. But I can fine-tune to what that dog needs in that moment. Very, very awesome, awesome unit. And then what I suggest to every other person on the planet, the 1900S. You can find these collars on LoneDuckOutfitters.com or you can shoot us a direct message and learn a little bit more about them before you pull the old trigger. Dogtra, baby. I think it, their lo- slogan is like, make every dog excellent or something. I'm not really sure. Don't quote me. But they do get you into that Dogtra. Next up, smoke them if you got them. Me and KD, we had to run a few errands tonight, and we got some ribs at a local barbecue joint. They were delightful, but they weren't on the trigger. They were good. They were really, really good, but they weren't my ribs on the trigger. I'm just telling you. Welcome to the trigger hood, baby. Smoke them if you got them. Next up, Kent. Kent Cartridge on the old Instagrams. Duck season is right around the corner, and you don't want to go to the duck blind and have the old $7.99 box of whatever it's called. Get that bismuth. Hit them with that bismuth. Give, oh, no, excuse me. Give them the business with the bismuth. That's what we're doing. Check them out on Instagram, Kent Cartridge, Kent Ammunition, that bismuth. Tell them we sent you. Lastly, Waypoint Outdoor Collective, they keep us in tune with you, you in tune with us, and that's where we find out where we're ranking in old, old Canada, our friendly neighbors to the north. Generally speaking, we're in the top 10, top 20 in Canada. I don't know how, but I love you all up there, you and your Tim Hortons and your Letter Kenny. I love you. Uh, and then <laughs> selfish little plug patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters if we've answered your question here on patreon or patreon on the podcast if we've helped you with your dog's force fetch program through our our podcast episodes on that you know or maybe you're on instagram and slid into our dms and i helped you there check us out on patreon it's a real community with me and my brother kevin where we help you a little bit more in depth we've got exclusive video content we've got Happy hours where I answer your questions and have a beer with you. It's not expensive. It's a, it's like buying me a beer once a month. So if you want to join that community, plus you win an all-expenses-paid trip to hunt with me and Kevin this winter on the eastern shore of Maryland, come on, baby. We be shooting that bismuth on the eastern shore. So you'd automatically be entered to win if you join Patreon. So join over there and then LoneDuckOutfitters.com. Get your hat. Get your T-shirt. Show some support. I promise you, if I see you at a hunt test wearing some Lone Duck gear, I'm coming up and giving you a high five and a big old hug, baby. All right, let's get into the show. KD. What's going on? You in the house, man. Yeah, in the house. Legit in the house. You're in the upper decker of this house. Like, face-to-face, not some internet connection. You can smell the burps from this glorious beer and ribs. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> and the loaded salt potatoes. Yes, New experience. I mean, it wasn't just the new experience of 
getting to see some amazing dogs doing amazing things, but salt potatoes. Yeah, I bet most people listening to this podcast have no idea what a salt potato is. I so. didn't know what a salt potato was until you said, hey, let's get some salt potatoes. And I looked at you like, what's a salt potato? And you looked at me like, what the heck do you mean what's a salt potato? So Katie is originally from the capital region of New York. So he is a New Yorker by heart and by birthright, but now he lives in Florida. Yeah, don't hold that against me. So I was shocked that he didn't know what a salt potato was, but apparently even in New York it's not well known other than here. And they're little white potatoes boiled in salt water, thick salt water. You don't go like low-sodium salt potatoes. This is salt potatoes. And then you eat them, and they're delightful. Absolutely delightful. And then these ones, we got the loaded ones. You had lots of pig, bacon, pulled pork, cream or sour cream, chives, cheese. I don't even like sour cream at all. Me either. But I loved it tonight. Me too. I think it had something to do with what happened today. Ah, what a day! Tell everybody about our day. How do you put that into words? I mean, obviously, we're going to do that for a while. Yeah, we have to. It's a podcast. <laughs> it's kind of like the whole point here. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I can't draw pictures or do sign language or mime it. Um, well, this was my first day getting to really observe, let alone the surprise that you gifted me of getting to participate at the end of the day. We'll get to that in, obviously in a little bit. But um, this was my first time getting to really observe what the retriever trainers do. And I've been working with dogs for 30 years from my first dog, which was a black lab from what we might think might have been some pretty decent lines yeah. that I failed miserably at that I later became the pet dog trainer. And I did some time in the suit. I did working dogs and protection dogs, but um, for me as a canine professional, y'all can't see the air quotes I'm throwing in the air. <laughs> He's the term professional real loosely. Um, you know, I don't get to do this. This isn't something, this isn't my lane. This isn't opportunity to train that I get frequently. So, well, before we say anything else, thank you for the invite. Oh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. Um, and shout out to Mike Jones for putting you and I in the same room together, yeah. so to speak, to make that happen. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into that later, but... Um, I got to spend the day watching you and some other absolutely amazing dog trainers and handlers. Every single person today, I got something from. Pretty cool. It was real cool. (laughs) Yeah. So we had Clark Kennington, who was on, well, it will be last week's episode, but it was literally last night that we recorded it. And so Clark spent the weekend running a hunt test and spending the night here at Lone de Chateau. And so he stayed today and we trained. And so, you know, you all listen to this, probably know Clark's reputation. And I didn't brag on him during the podcast because it's weird to tell another dude you're one of the best in the country. But Clark's record stands as being a top trainer in the country. He's just a stud at the Grand. He's a stud at Master National. He's a stud at the Super Retriever Series year after year after year. He's super consistent, and he's just a great dog trainer and great handler. And and the way he thinks about dogs and thinks about how to set up marks and blinds and the land that we're looking at and how to challenge the dog and teach the dog and handle that dog is, is super intelligent. I mean, it's not just, hey, walk out in that field and throw three birds. 
It's everything had a reason for it. And so you got an, like, you could have just come and trained with me and it would have been cool, but dude, that's one of the best you got to see. I got hooked up today. I, yeah. I, I think there's probably plenty of people listening and other people out there who would look at me with the green eye yeah. at this pet dog trainer from Florida who just happened to get to sit and spend the whole day on the field with some incredible dogs and some really incredible humans. We had great philosophical discussions, too. Yeah. It was awesome, man. Well, that's what I, you know, as I'm sitting there and keep my mouth shut, my ears open. Doesn't matter how long I've been dealing with dogs. I haven't been doing this with dogs. So you step on another man's field, you listen. Mm -hmm. That's all. And I was listening. I started hearing things. And the conversations that you guys were having, in particular, early on in the morning, you and Clark, he just, the questions he was asking you from what I do with dogs resonated. I mean, the name of my business is Socratic Canine. And I'm not going to explain what that means. Let's just give the cool points to the people who do know what it means. But when I heard Clark asking you those questions, why do you think we did this? Or what? Okay, I'm in the presence of some experienced, intelligent trainers. People who think and actually care about what the dog is thinking. Yeah. And want to talk about what is the dog thinking. And then bounce it off each other. Well, I, I, I'm thinking this. Yeah, 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 yeah. But did you think of this? Well, shoot. Not really. And then I'd bring something up and he's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just training with the other people. It's like playing sports. I use the sports analogy all the time. If you're the 16-year-old playing with 20-year-olds on the basketball court, you're going to get better. If you're the 20-year-old playing with 16-year-olds, you're not going to get better. You're playing down. So if you can surround yourself with successful people, with better people, with people who push you and urge you and encourage you to play above your game, you're going to get better. And the conversations he and I were having were, I don't know how you describe it, but like I, some of the things like he was telling me to do, it's like, yeah, I guess I do do that. I didn't even know I was. Phew. Does that make me good or dumb? Right? Like I almost think it makes me dumb to some degree. Like I'm going to downplay myself for a second. Like I don't know I'm doing it. So that does that mean I do it all the time and I don't know I do it or I don't know I do it and so therefore I should I maybe don't do it all the time? I don't think it's a smart versus dumb thing. When you're doing it right and you don't know it, maybe we can call that talent. Like it's something you're instinctively doing. Now there's levels above that. You can be talented and then conscious conscious because can you teach somebody else something that you don't know you're doing even if you're doing it good that's great cool you will earn accomplish you will earn merit for your talent but we're always trying to grow yeah we're always trying to get better and being a professional in the dog world you're going to be working with people who are looking to you to make them better right so that's where those questions clark was asking you and yeah, you did it, but now the way I was listening to the way he explained it. Now the best part of today was I didn't know what the hell was going on. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, so from the, the, the nomenclature, the words, I, I didn't, well, I learned one word today. Yeah, airing a dog out. Yeah, never, we've never used that word in my circles. That means go pee and poop. Air them out. Let them run around and go potty. Aside from that highly useful piece of knowledge, you know, I, I didn't know the words. I didn't know what was happening on the field, which is pretty cool because I do know dogs. I have no problem saying I know dogs. So to watch the one thing I do know, which is a dog, but yet watch them doing these completely different things and then listening to the conversations that you guys were having, you know, my wheels were spinning to put the pieces together. And the questions he was asking you took the things you were already doing and then took you to another level right. to think about it, Yeah, if that makes sense. It does. And, and so what, what I took away, one of the takeaways I had today was he would bring something up like you're saying like one of the marks we ran was was challenging there were factors in the field that pushed a dog generally one way and it was right to left so they're running out to a mark and they'd fade towards the left towards the gun and he's like if we were at a hunt test what would you do to make this dog more successful and and i answered it poorly because I just answered it quickly. And it was, well, I would take my time. I'd be patient. I'd make sure they're looking where I want them to go. I'd probably pull them a little bit this way. And uh, I just would take my time. I'd be patient and send them. He's like, yeah, but what if you took two steps over here? And then it opens that laneway and that visual, and it helps the dog hang on like hold their line to the bird better because of the factors are a little bit what do you want to call it like wider right so perspective yeah so if i'm to the right then it's tighter if i move to the left it's more open and he's like if i'm at a test i'm gonna take two steps to the left and it's gonna open it up and make that dog make an easier good life choice and get that bird more successfully and then he after he said i go shit i do that all the time at a test. I don't do it in training because I want them to be challenged and I mm-hmm. want them to not necessarily make mistakes, but I want them to learn how to challenge those factors. But at a test, heck yeah, I'm moving and I'm making them be successful. But the kicker is what I learned. The takeaway actually is don't do it naturally. Don't do it willy nilly. Be conscious throughout the process so that I can be aware of my surroundings, be aware of the dogs, be aware of the challenges, and always be conscious of how to make that dog successful. That can be in training too, but I at the test, I want that dog to, to freaking pass or win and be conscious of that the moment you walk to that line. What am I doing to be successful? And so that was one of my takeaways today, and so it was cool that just sitting back, like you said, I, I had my mouth shut and my ears open listening and even though you didn't know every word we were saying, because we were talking like dog trainers, marks and blinds and poison birds and all the stuff we say. Okay, what is the poison bird? I'm glad you brought that up because I heard that mentioned several times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what the hell is a poison bird? All right, so me and you are duck hunting. You shoot a bird, I shoot a bird. And I always kid around that my brother's a bad shot, so... His bird or your bird, probably because you're a bad shot, you knock it down and you you cripple it. And so it's swimming away. Well, mine, because I'm deadly, 
and I shoot that bismuth. Assassin. <laughs> Assassin lands in the decoy's belly up. It's dead. Well, that's not going anywhere. But that dog's fixated on this bird that I killed belly up. But yours is getting away. I've got to have the control over the dog to pull them off of that and run that bird. Or, realistically, because it's usually it's a poison bird blind, and a blind is a bird that the dog didn't see fall. So, let's say yours got shot and is crippled and it's swimming away, but my dog only saw this bird, so he doesn't even know there's anything out there. I've got to have the control and discipline in that dog to say, no, no, move over here with me. Run this blind. Go pick up that bird. Then come back and get this easy one that's already dead and not going anywhere. So that's what a poison bird is. So we've got drills that we'll run to teach that with a young dog to build success. Um, and then we'll just we'll add it through our training program throughout the week to practice that control, that self-discipline to say, I know you really want that mark that you just saw, that bird that just fell. No, no. Here, run this blind. Now come back and remember that bird and go and get it. So that's all a poison bird is. Um, but, yeah, it was neat, man. We were in the presence of a, a true dog man today. And not many people get to do that. So good on, on you. Good I, day to be here. I mean, of all the days, I mean, my schedule's been crazy. I've been traveling for going on two weeks now. I got another two weeks. And for this to be the day to be here pretty sweet no complaints at all man yeah pretty sweet so tell me about socratic canine tell me tell me well we didn't even ask about who you are tell everybody who you are what what kind of guy you are well it depends on who you ask some of it <laughs> I, don't, I mean i don't know what the viewership age range is here so i gotta watch my words uh but seriously no i'm just a guy who got a dog when he was 15 and screwed up royally and the best part about being here well one of the there is no best part they're all awesome but one of the really cool parts about being here today is my first dog was a labrador who went on to be very successful in trials and bred to all the heavens because of how awesome he was because when i couldn't handle him anymore as a 15 year old this is 1990 1994 95 there was no internet. I didn't have internet. You read a book on how to put a leash on and how to yank and how to crank. And well, that's what I did. And I failed miserably. And luckily, um, there was a um, hunting guide. I guess that's the best way to explain it. Yep. Um, who was a friend of the family and been drooling over that dog since we got him. So when the day came when my parents told me I had to rehome him, he was Johnny on the spot, took the dog. Coached me a little bit in the transition. Like, I didn't get to see anything like I did today. But he, he made an effort. Well, that got me excited. And I was also dealing with the grief of having to admit failure with a dog. Those two things combined sent me on what has now been a 30-year journey of not just learning everything I can about dogs, but passing that knowledge on to dog owners, which has culminated in the the birth of Socratic Canine. So Socratic Canine is my business, my company. Socrates? Yeah, a little something like that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I may have listened one time in school. <laughs> my way of teaching people is by asking a 
rap load of questions. I very rarely hold leashes anymore. I don't do board and trains except for rare occasion. Usually it's a favor for somebody or it's a real challenging situation and somebody and a dog needs help. Instead, what I do is I work with dog owners literally all over the world. Most of my clientele, over 99.99% of them are online. And I teach them about their dogs, man. I'm a firm believer of principle over method. And what that has done is created the opportunity for me to truly educate pet dog owners on what this animal is living in their home and the principles of how does this animal think before we worry about how to hold a leash, before we worry about what type of treat do I use and what's the best way to teach a sit, how about we learn how a dog learns first. That's the principle versus the method. The method is how to hold a leash. The method is how to get it to walk nice on a leash. The method is how to get it on a place board. The principles is how does that dog understand how to learn? Mm-hmm. How does you, not a dog, how does your dog learn how to learn? Because every dog is a little bit different. I like to say all dogs are different, which most people nod and they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I really mess with their heads and I say, and all dogs are the same. And that's when you get that look. Because everyone wants to think their dog is different, especially if their dog has behavioral challenges. Um, Something a lot of dog owners do is, well, my dog's different. That's the way out. Right. But I get it. Your dog's different, but your dog's also just like every other dog. In the sense that they learn to do things when they are reinforced for those behaviors. They learn not to do things when they either aren't reinforced or ultimately punished for those behaviors. Those are behavioral universals that are not even unique to dogs. It's all species. We do it to one another. Um, Works in marriages as well. I charge extra for that type of service. I don't even charge for marriages. I can't do it. (laughs) Too much pity. (laughs) Oh, this is great. Can you handle my wife? How many times I've heard that? I want to smack them. Or oh, do you take kids? Oh, my kids could come here. Get out of here. Uh, like the accent just popped in there. Thanks. There? I don't know. It's just just Johnny down in Rhode Island. <laughs> so, oh, man, we could go somewhere with that. But we, <laughs> um, So, yeah, I, I focus now on teaching dog owners about their dogs, how to build relationships with them. Well, the first thing I do is, you know, I have my own little pillars, right? Everyone's got to have some type of pillar or something. I'm not going to call it a system. I'll be damned if I call it a system. Management, then relationship, then obedience. First, let's learn how to create a life for this untrained animal that you live with. A life that is going to make sense for all the end goals that you have later. So you're not shooting yourself in the foot with something you're doing today. It's going to mess you up six months from now. That's right. All right, we got a life for the dog. We know how to keep that dog safe. We know how to keep ourselves safe. Now let's work on building a functional, not a good or a bad. People don't like words that are good or bad. It's too subjective. How about we just say a functional relationship with the dog? What is functional? We can work together. We can get stuff done. Then the stuff that we're getting done, that's the obedience. Yeah. Chimpanzee can do that. That's when we get into some methods. Um, 
I think one of the a quote I once heard from a a very a trainer I have a lot of respect for, um, just based on what I've seen. Pat Nolan once said, uh, "If we're not retriever a, guy, yep." And I heard him on Working Dog Radio podcast. Okay, um, and he had said, "If uh, I can't quote it directly, I might get something wrong, but." If we don't understand the principle, we'll be a slave to the method forever. Uh, that has resonated with me on such a level. And I share that with every dog owner I work with. I don't care if it's a pet dog owner and this is their first dog and it's a Chowini. I share that with them. I want them to think about that. Yeah. And take that into their life with their dog. Describe what it means to you. What it means to me. Say the quote one more time, you know, roughly, yep. and then what it means to you. Because that, that's freaking smart. If we don't understand the principle, we'll be a slave to the method forever. So what that means to me is a method is the thing you do, right? You, I mean, today there was all kinds of sharing of methods, on a variety of things. And I even got to participate in some of those conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was fun. We, yeah. Because I don't know anything about what you guys do other than it involves dogs and the principles of behavior. Yes. So I was able to participate in a discussion about a specific behavior that a dog was doing. Even though I don't know anything about the context. Why? Because I understand the principles how the dog thinks. How do I increase a behavior? How do I decrease a behavior? Those are universals. And if we understand those, if we understand the why, why do these things work? Or why did they not work? That allows us to be fluid and organic when we're with the dog, when we're going through the methods. So if you only understand a method, Like I show you how to teach a dog to lie down. I show you this one way. That's all I show you. Then you go home and you do it. And it doesn't work. Yeah. What are you going to do? Now you got to call me up again. Hey, KD, uh, I did that. didn't work. Well, that's not my job. My job is to empower the dog owner so they don't need to call me back. And I don't do that by teaching a method. I teach them how to increase a behavior, how to decrease a behavior, how to create a behavior. How does the dog see things? If they understand that, I might suggest a method. If they go home and they try it, it doesn't work. If they understand the principles, they don't need to call me back. They can start adapting that method, playing with it, trying this, trying that. They're no longer a slave to this one thing, and it either works or it doesn't. Yeah, we talk about that on the show frequently. Dog training isn't A plus B equals C. If you listen to the show and do A plus B equals C, I'm going to go most of the time you're going to be okay. Because we're pretty in-depth in how we describe some stuff. But to the point Katie is making, I've said it a thousand times on this show. It's a finesse game. Well, if A plus B equals Z, how do you handle it? Well, keep trying. Work this. 
get them over here. Do this three times, then do that one time. Then instead of doing that three times and that one time, do one and one. And then one, like, I don't know what to tell you. Because I don't have your dog in front of me. I can't see what their body language is telling me. I can't see the stress level. I can't see the excitement level. I can't see the look in their eyes. I can't see, uh, I can't see your body language. I can't see your energy level. I can't see how your relationship to the dog is. Maybe you're the, the dog is the alpha and you are, it's, you know, B I T C H baby. I hope if your kids are in the back seat, they can't spell yet. You know what I'm saying? Like some people just don't have control of their dogs. And therefore, if you follow A plus B equals C, and that dog doesn't respect you and trust you and believe in you, you might do all the things right, but that dog doesn't give a crap what you're telling it to do because it's going to do what it feels like. And then when it feels like doing what you want it to do, it'll do it. So there's so many factors in the method to get the result that you have to teach philosophy. You have to teach the principles and hope that the listener or the student can adapt and read the dog and learn how to read the dog to apply it to the method. Does that make sense? Completely. Yeah. It's hard. It's really hard. And so I, I sort of don't envy you, but I do envy you because we have a podcast about teaching people how to train their own dog and talk about dogs and talk about dog hunting and all that stuff. And I want people to learn how to train their dog by listening to this show. But in the back of my head, I still know that every dog is going to be a challenge. Every dog is going to react to ear pinch pressure differently or collar pressure differently. And, you know, they might yeah, sulk during the first two sessions of e-collar and they message me and they're like, man, it's, you know, I'm doing everything you say to do and whatever. Well, if it were with me, I probably wouldn't really care that it's sulking because I know in four or five days I've done this. I believe in my process. I trust my process and I trust my ability to read the dog that I can get them out of that. And all of a sudden day six, they're like, bam, 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 looking good, super confident. I got to trust my process, but I've done it. If you've never done it and you see those things, you're like, Oh, gosh, I'm screwing it up. I don't know what to do. So it's hard. It's hard to teach people. It's hard to teach people online because you can't be there and be like, hey, bro, smack them upside the head. What did you do that for? You did it three times. I told you not to do it, and you did it a fourth time. It's really hard. It's it's very hard. How do you you combat that? If I wanted to come to you as a Socratic canine, uh, not employee, student, student, thank you, how do you combat that? A, a student that is just having a really, really hard time. How do you help me? It depends on what you're having a hard time with. So, gosh, this this yeah, is, this know, is a, that's a deep one. This is a rabbit hole, man. Okay, you know I need another one of those. Yeah, right? get one. Here we go. Uh, get you some. Now, this isn't a bush. This is Voodoo Ranger Juicy Haze IPA. KD brought it. You know he's spoiling me. With a little IPA. I just want to get invited back. And right. I've learned that this is how you get invited back. Yeah. Well. You bring all kinds. I came with your beer. I came with this beer. I hear you. It's not my first rodeo. <laughs> um, all right. How do I combat that? Well, I have to say this first. When people get into dog training and they tell me it's because they love working with dogs... There's a cringe, there's a cringe factor there. 
is what type of dog trainer are you doing? In the sense that we need to be able to work with people. And, you know, I have been training dogs for a long time. I have been taking money in exchange for the services for a long time. It isn't until the last five years I really doubled down on what I found to be what I'm good at, what I'm really good at, honestly, and that is the people end of it. So why do I say that? Because it is a skill set, my friend, to be able to identify well, what problem are you having? So the example you said, well, Katie, how, how do you help me get through this problem online? I can't touch the leash. I mean, I have clients in New Zealand, Australia, Kuwait, Dubai. There's nothing I can do physically for them. And I'm glad. Because every time I would touch the leash, I'm robbing them of the opportunity to learn how to do it themselves. So I have to be able to identify what is your barrier to success in whatever this task is. Is it a coordination issue oh that i find big time in retriever training let's do let keep going let's put, let, we, that, let's put that on pause that one's coming back yeah. i can smell it um is it a coordination issue which for me is easy to identify with because holy macaroni salad i am uncoordinated um is it an emotional barrier do we have a relationship issue between the handler in the dog such that they are unable to currently, and I say currently because I believe everyone has the potential to grow, especially with a coach like me. I'm going to make it happen. That's my personal goal with everyone. We're going to make it happen. They might have a present challenge with being assertive and meaning it, truly meaning it, being comfortable with having that type of relationship with a dog. For many of my clients, it's the first time in their lives they've ever had to hold another entity accountable for anything. So I have to be able to read what that challenge is. And just like with dog training, it's not cookie cutter. At that point, I have to determine, all right, how much pressure do I put on them? Some people really need the pressure. How do I deliver that pressure? Do I put a little sugar with it? L- little maple syrup? Or is it just raw? Everyone is different. And I have to make that determination, try it, observe and see what happens, and then make the adjustments as we go. Sounds a little bit like dog training, doesn't it? Yes, sir. Only it's two-legged. Yeah, there's a ton of similarities with dealing with people. And I, yeah. You know, that put a little sugar on it. Hey, maybe I might use my humor to bust their chops on, you know, blowing a whistle too late or quick handling a dog on blinds. And they're just, you know, I've told you 10 times to slow down. Now I'm going to get in your butt, but I'm also going to make you laugh. You know, so that's that sugar. If sugar isn't working, I might smack you upside the head and be like, or take my healing stick and whack you on the calf and be like, Hey, bro, you're messing your dog up. Dog's doing fine. You're screwing him up. Take a deep breath. Think about what we talked about and go. All of a sudden, they pick it up and they slow down and think. But you're right. So, and dogs are the same. I might still put a little pressure on that dog, but I'm also going to be like, oh, what a good dog. Good sit. Good. Back. After I just 
smoked him on a you know slipping a whistle or something. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, it, it's it, yeah, finesse, man. Read the dog. Read the dog odor. Finesse game. Finesse game. It's super interesting. What is you know? I feel like everybody who listens now kind of understands what you do. You're teaching people how to manage their dog, dog behavior, teach them how to work that dog and, and build a better family member. What's the toughest? I don't really care about the clients. What's the toughest dog that you've put your hands on that you're like, I just can't get through to you or and really challenged you to think outside the box or reach out to other people and say, hey, man, I got this. Have you ever seen this? Tell me about that dog. Well, there's been several. Samesies. <laughs> right? right? Um, a, a couple that come to, if, you know, I'm going to categorize here. I find the primitive breeds to be incredibly challenging for a number of reasons. So rather than pick a single dog, Let's pick something a little bit broader because it can reach it's a bigger topic, right? It's um, probably more people can relate to it. Um, your primitive breeds, your livestock guardians, right? Great Pyrenees. Your, alib- your alibis, your Caucasian shepherds, your avcharkas. Um, even we can even throw, some people might not say the Akita is a primitive breed, but, you know, it sure as heck isn't a Labrador. right how about you know breeds of dogs that were not bred for hundreds of years if not thousands to directly communicate with their handlers like so labradors they're looking man i watched them all day long look 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 looking where to the human for that communication it's a team Truly a a magical team, by the way. Like, watching all you guys out there today, I mean, awesome. Some of these primitive breeds were not meant to be on your team. They go off. They're not meant to be couch dogs or, you know, an apartment dog or carried around in a basket in New York City. No. Only until the last maybe 50 to 75 years have they been trying to do that. They've been bred to live in a farm stable and in the farm field with sheep. With very, oftentimes, very little human contact. Right. Outside of feeding. So, I'd say, cumulatively, some of the most challenging dogs I've had to work with, initially, were those dogs. Because of, like we said, all dogs are different, but all dogs are the same. So, the principles are the same. You reinforce a behavior, you'll get more of it. You remove reinforcement or you punish, you'll get less of it or you'll it'll become extinct. What changes is each individual dog determines what is a reinforcer and each individual dog determines what is a punisher. What I mean by that is this. Bob, I need you to help me move. Right, that's the one thing, friends. Like, that's the job that friends always. I mean, I instantly was about to say I'm busy that week. Yeah, it's a knee jerk reaction, (laughs) right? It's the one thing we don't want to do for our friends, but we know we have to. I know you have a truck. I'm. uh, What are you doing this weekend? Uh... (laughs) Exactly. So, but I'm smart. 
I know if I give you something or I make it sweet, it'll work out and you might even do it again for me. So you'll appreciate this example. So after you get done helping me, I put a big old bottle of Tanqueray gin on the table and I'm like, here, and I'm glistening with like pride that I'm about to show you how cool of a dude I am because I just bought you a big old bottle of Tanqueray, Bob. I mean, of course you're going to want to help me move again. I'm not, a, I'm not a gin guy. What do you mean? You're not a gin guy. So, huh. That puts me in a little bit of a pickle, doesn't it? Right. All right. Did I motivate you to want to help me at all? Did I reinforce the behavior that you did give me? Not at all. No. It's not my decision to pick the reinforcer for you or the dog. I have to do a little bit of research. I have to actually be invested in this relationship enough to know that you don't like gin. Yeah. And you'd much rather a uh, a case of good beer. Yeah. That's a phenomenal example. Because when you said gin, I'm like, damn. But I, in my head, I'm thinking, but he, we had this conversation. He knows that I don't like gin. Yeah. No, it's a great example. I wouldn't be motivated to do it again. You pick your reinforcer. I don't pick it for you. So the principles of reinforcement and punishment are the same. They're universal. They don't change. What changes is the individual you are working with and you are trying to teach or train or condition or manipulate or whatever whatever example you want to use. You got to know what they want. So when you're working with some of these primitive dogs, you're not going to be dangling hot dogs in front of them and doing the same type of things that you would do with a Labrador. You got to know that dog. You got to realize they might be reinforced by very different things. They might be punished by very different things. They're not highly social. They're not necessarily super clingy and want to be near you. So a pat in the head might not mean much to that dog. He doesn't give a hoot nanny about you. Right. Great point. I have found those dogs to be incredibly challenging. I have worked with limited number, and it was a long time ago. And we kind of talked about this on the ride home today from, from dinner, where when I first got started, it was a feast or famine, right? I had this famine mentality in business where I'd say yes to anything, right? So I'd get these off breeds, these weird breeds, these Akitas and, you know, oh, Sharpays and Ooh. just like all sorts of weird stuff that just needed house dogging, just make it a better house dog. I agree with you with what you're saying, but I would ask, this is a question, this is philosophy, right? Socrates mm-hmm. philosophize. I need a sip for this. Because they're more and what he's meaning by primitive is they haven't been bred down by humans as much. So there's a lot more dog instinct in them. A lot more pack. Raw. Yeah, they're they're a dog. They aren't a, a Lhasa Apsu. They aren't a, a, a Labrador. They aren't a golden retriever who just wants to lay by your feet and get loved on. And yeah, I'll go get a duck and whatnot. But man, that, that love of you and, and we've bred into them that that love of humans, right? They're a dog. They have more dog in them. And what I found was they they responded to the leadership quicker. They responded to me being the alpha that take the lead and walk confidently. And it might take a second, 
and it might take 10 minutes. It might take an hour. I don't really, I'm not going to put a number on it, but I found that some of the behavioral stuff that I was seeing back in the day in those older breeds, those, those dogs that were just straight dogs, they just never had somebody be a leader for them. And then as soon as someone showed them what a leader was, they didn't have any problems anymore because they never saw one. They were the one, but because instinct to truly be a follower, I believe most dogs. Now you got those outliers that are just super dominant, but I feel like most dogs would default to be a follower. Most people would too. Listen, man, this is the laws of nature. Yeah. I mean, I they don't want to be decision makers. No, they don't want to be stressed out with where they're getting food and where they're getting shelter. They want to be guided there. And if you snatch that lead and you walk shoulders back, head up high, bingo, bango, they don't know what hit them. And all of a sudden they're like, whoa, this is new. This guy's the boss. I can relax a little bit. I can be more myself around him. I don't have to worry about that person walking by or that other dog walking by or the kids playing basketball or all the other stuff. I don't have to worry because this guy's got my back. Now, I, t- tell me a method that teaches that. There isn't one. No. So we come back to the method and principle thing. Everything you're describing right now, there is no method. No. You're talking about a principle, Bob. Yeah. Yeah, but I found that those primitive breeds, those weird outliers that I'm lucky to have gotten to train and learn from and read and, you know, put the things that I'd learned in books and whatnot, you know. We're talking about Caesar Milan, you know, some of his early days, his early TV shows and books. You know, that's the stuff that I I fed off of and and the challenges that it gave me of being a leader, of being a a confident guy with a dog. And, And I found that those breeds respected that, they were maybe hard to teach to sit. They might have been hard to lure with a treat or do other things. But as far as like, man, he's being a dick in the house. And then I show up and freaking grab that leash and just be the boss. Boom. All that went away. Like in a session. Because he never had anybody do that to him. He never had anybody that he could look up to and respect. And I think if we were to relay that real quick before we jump into another topic... If we were to relay that to, you know, the retriever world, there's no difference. If your dog doesn't sit on a whistle, if your dog doesn't do what you're asking of it in, in, in our world, right, and they're bouncing off the wall and they're jumping on you when you're doing heel work and they're grabbing at your, you know, sleeve while you're in the house and they're just, they're owning you, they're screwing with you, they're bossing you around. What we've just talked about for the last 10 minutes, you know, that's what that dog needs. That dog needs a leader. If not, he is the leader. And now when you're saying, hey, Tweet, sit on the whistle, please, he's going to be like, nah, you aren't the boss. So they need that leader. They need that confident alpha. And I don't mean alpha like pin them on their back, rough them up. They just need a leader. You know, we all have had bosses that were strict but fair, and we've looked up to them for it. Then we've had leaders, you know, 
All right, I'll give another analogy. I'm going to go out on some other rabbit holes. I'm feeling good right now. Good, me too. Voodoo Ranger, son. You got more? Mm-hmm. The analogy I give people when I'm talking about leadership and being a leader for your dog in the house. I had a boss. I was selling copiers. It was my first job. First paycheck. I bought my first dog, Buck. That picture right there, buddy. Yellow lab. First paycheck. The first boss I had, his name was Mike Strong. Shout out Mike Strong, probably not listening. He was shorter, rounder, very sweaty man. And he had a touch of macho man Randy Savage. Hey, brother, did you hit that pavement today? Did you go out there and sell those copiers, brother? Oh, yeah. I swear to God, dude, I'm not making this up. Oh, yeah, brother, did you get him out there? Oh, how many prints per minute did you get? Oh, you sold the color copier. Oh, yeah. That was Mike. And he had this bravado about him, but then you'd take him to a sale. And, and he was a good dude. I'm busting his chops right now, but he was a good-hearted man. But when you took him to a sales meeting, he'd be sweating. He'd be leaning forward in his chair, rocking it a little bit. He'd be playing with his hands. He'd uh, fumble his words, and I never closed a deal when I brought him. If I went by myself, I'd close deals. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I just made stuff up <laughs> and got him to sign the paperwork. But if I brought him, they just these people fed off him. Like this dude doesn't know what he's doing. You know, this guy's not. You know, something's wrong here. Mm-hmm. I'm about to sign a contract that sounds good, but he's just not confident. So I left that company. And I worked for an insurance company. And I had another boss, Bob Messina. Bob's probably not going to listen either. But he was sharp-dressed, clean haircut all the time. Not a big man, small, short, Italian, swagger, confident. And he was smart. Never went to college, but he was smart. He was always a student of the game. He was always a student of the insurance game. He was always a student of business. He was always a student of sales. And he would push us. And he'd go to a meeting and he'd lean back in his chair. And he would talk. And he'd look at people in the eye. And he just exuded confidence. And every time I had a deal, I wanted Bob with me because we'd close that sucker. Every time. It's intoxicating. It's so good to feel good around people who are confident and when you have a dog who needs that are you the boss who's sweaty and nervous tense unconfident unsure of themselves did i do it right did i not do it right what what do i do now what do i you don't have to know what you're doing fake it till you make it take a deep breath shoulders back let's go fake it till you make it that dog will pick up on that and if you work that into your system Bingo, bango, man. They're going to start looking up to you. And they're going to start asking you permission to do things because you're the boss. And then they're going to be quicker to do what you ask them to do because they want to please you, the boss. That's the analogy I use all the time with my new with my owners who get their dogs back. And you see them nervous to make a mistake, nervous to, you know, walk the dog on a leash. That dog has been trained a ton here. It knows what to do. Take a deep breath. Relax. Shoulders up. Relax that arm. Shake it out a little bit. 
Feel good. Hey, what'd you do today? Did you go? Oh, what'd you have for dinner? And I get them talking, and I get them talking about their day, and I make laugh, you know, make them laugh, talk about the kids, talk about the soccer game that they had to drive them to, and all of a sudden their arms are relaxed and they're they're chill, and now the dog's chill. Relax. Be a be a leader. It makes me think of a meme I just saw recently that I identified with, and it's relevant. It was a picture of it was from the eighties, like any good meme. <laughs> and you got some guy standing by the pool, holding the beer. His foot is outstretched as he's about to kick some six-year-old into the <laughs> pool. And the meme said, "Everybody had that uncle." Yes. Now I am that uncle. Okay, that's me. I even I still wear the short shorts. I don't care. They're in my wardrobe. Hell yeah, it is what it is. When we think about, so the analogy I use is that uncle. That uncle who doesn't care what anybody else in the family thinks. He's drinking beer at 10 a.m. on Sunday because it's a picnic, by golly. And why shouldn't you drink beer at 10 a.m.? Yeah. You're outdoors. Well, summertime. What's wrong with you for not drinking beer at 10 a.m.? Everyone criticizes and cringes when he interacts with the kids. He's too firm. He's too aggressive. He's too mean. He's got all these rules. He's rough with them. Where do the kids all want to be? Around the uncle. Do they misbehave around the uncle? No. Do they talk back to the uncle? No. Ten minutes later when they're in front of their parents, they're little heathens again. So this uncle who everybody judges because he doesn't seem to care. He doesn't follow the politically correct protocols. He will deal with inappropriate behavior in a very quick Unemotional, unbiased, effective way. Why do the kids hang on him? Because he exudes that leadership. He doesn't punish the kids. He punishes inappropriate behavior. There is a huge difference between punishing an individual and punishing an individual's behavior. He also isn't overindulgent with his affection and his praise. He does give it. He does give it. But it's stingy. So it has so much value. So when Uncle Johnny looks at you and doesn't call you a dork, and he smiles and nods, he says, Good one. That was a good wedgie you did on your brother. I'm proud of you. Yes. And then he kicks you in the pool and you drown for a little bit. You're drowning thinking, oh, he said he was proud of me. Be Uncle Johnny. Yeah. Yeah. I I actually think I'm that uncle. I am... Quick to, I don't know. I, I love my, my nieces and nephews, like, hard. Hard. And I'm the first one rolling with them on the ground. Mm-hmm. But when they're out of line, hey, don't, no, 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 no. We don't talk to mom like that, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, let's go over here. Let's keep playing. All right. Don't do it again, though. Okay, yeah, yeah. And they, I love them, and they love me. But, yeah, I don't. We don't put up with that shit. And it might be because of our dog training background, right? Like, kids and dogs are not that different. They just aren't. They feed off of leadership. They feed off of praise. They feed off of lessons learned. They want to make you happy. They want to make you feel proud. Take a deep breath and be that person for them. They don't need. Here's the deal. 
Uh oh, this, this just he just, just put, put my he beard just down. put his beard down. He adjusted himself in the yeah. seat. I think we got something good coming, folks. Everybody wants to love their dog. Everybody wants to love their kid. We'll just talk about dogs and relate it to your children if you feel necessary. Everybody wants to love their dog so much. They want to give them treats and biscuits for coming inside after they took a dump. Nice job, buddy. You took a dump. Come on inside and you get a treat. Everybody wants to uh, have them on the couch and love on them all the time. It's self-soothing. It's selfish of us to always love that dog. They pet them when they do this. They pet them when they do that. They they uh, lay on the floor with them and rub their bellies. They do free love all the time. Katie, what's your favorite meal? Favorite meal. If I could cook it tomorrow night for us, what are you going to? Oxtails, rice, and peas. Oxtails, rice, and peas. I don't even know what that is, but okay, I'll make it for you. What are we going to have in the next day for breakfast? Oxtails, rice, and peas. Lunch, oxtails, rice, and peas. Dinner, oxtails, rice, and peas. And uh, for the next month, that's what I'm going to make you. Every meal of every day. You think by the end of the month, you're going to be like, okay, I'm now craving a burrito. If I give you what you want all the time for nothing, you haven't earned it. You haven't done anything, but you're always getting it. How hard are you going to work for me to get that? You're not. So if I give love all the time, if I give, hey, good dog, Oh, you're so handsome. Oh, you're the prettiest dog in the world. All the time. How hard, when the going gets tough, are you going to work to earn that? You're not. Because you know, five minutes later, oh, you're okay. You're the sweetest Because you've never had to earn it before, so why should you start now having to earn it? So you've taken this thing that dogs really, really want, which is our praise and our love and our affection and a good dog or a retrieve or a treat, and you've watered it down and be and made it lose its value. So that special meal that maybe your mom made for your birthday, if she made it for you all the time, then it's not the special thing that you got on your birthday. It's just your every other meal. That's why the birthday meals are special because it's rare. And now I'm not saying you shouldn't love your dog. I'm not saying you shouldn't lay on the floor and rub their belly. I'm not saying they shouldn't sleep on the couch. I could give a crap. But if it's all the time and they never have to earn anything, then it become, it, it's watered down. And when the going gets tough, they're not going to try hard. If they have to earn that praise or they have to earn that treat or whatever, now they're going to work a little bit harder. Now they're going to, Oh, this is a little bit scary. I don't know about swimming. I'm not sure about swimming right now. But you're in you're in there going, come on, buddy. Come on. Hey, hey, hey. You got it. You got it. I'm praising you. I'm praising you. They want to do it for you. But if it's all the time that they get that, it's not as special. So I can overcome fear. I can overcome nervousness. I can overcome lack of confidence. I can overcome pressure. I can overcome so many things if my love and affection is worth something. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are, if we weren't talking about dogs, we were talking about dating. (laughs) Nobody would disagree with us. Everyone would be nodding, high-fiving, amen, hallelujah, you name it. Makes sense when we're talking about dating. Unsolicited affection. 
Yeah. You know, when my clients, um, well, in my online program, it's all videos, content they're consuming and and the lectures that I'm doing. uh, When I talk about relationships, I don't talk about dogs and humans because people have emotional barriers to those. I talk about things that people can relate to. Right. Like dating. And typically you get a whole lot of agreement. You know, we talk about what would a first date be like if I just showed up and said, hey, you know, are, are you thirsty? And before she could even answer, I ran to the food court, got four different sodas, the sugared and the non-sugared version of each with some tea and some high C, and I carried it all back, and I put it down on the table, and then she politely looks at me and says, oh, well, I, I really wasn't even thirsty. And my response, oh, no, 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 not a problem, not a problem. Whenever you're ready, I'll carry it for you, and I'll have it for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, am I getting a second date? No. Nah. Probably not. If you, but your looks are devilish, so you might. Well, the mustache is here for a reason, and it's to make sure. I mean, <laughs> it's not an accident. I just recently got engaged, so I don't know if it was the mustache or what. You know, this smelling like dogs, or you know, it's got to be the stash. It's got to be the stash. Um, you know, it makes sense when we talk about that. And a lot of my my clients who struggle with relationships with their dogs are the quickest to validate. That example or the analogy of dating, unsolicited affection given freely for nothing in exchange creates more problems than it ever resolves. And that's one of my little, that's one of my little teacher magic tricks. I get them to validate that, agree with it. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And then I just look at them and I'm like, so what was your first day like with your new dog? Loved them and they slept in bed. And they just look at me. Because mm-hmm. the point was already driven home. At yeah. that point, they realize what I just did, and I'm yes. a little maniacal wizard. And yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. And they get the look of shame, and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm the clingy person who texted 20 times before the date was even, before we were even home. I'm that clinger. I'm like, yeah, you are. So now you want to know why when you go out in public, your dog's at the end of the leash? Looking everywhere except for you because you taught them that everywhere except for you was valuable. And when they feel like your affection, maybe they'll get close enough so you can shower it them with it like the needy person. Yeah. It's very self, uh, for the human, it's very self-soothing. You know, we get home, our dog's happy to see us. We had a long day, rough day at work. Who's happy to see you? Okay. The dog. And the old joke of lock your wife and your dog in the trunk. Come back two hours later, open the trunk. Who's happy to see you? I've never heard that. Are you for real? I'm being dead for real right now. <laughs> well, now you got a new one. Uh, yeah. No, your dog's going to be happy. Your wife's going to be pissed. Well, right now it's a fiance. It might not get to be a wife if I run this experiment. Yeah. No. Hard no. <laughs> So, my point is, my point is, we feed off of that. They always want to love us, and they always are there for us, and and that's the beauty of a dog. But it, we as the human need to harness that to get them to do the hard stuff. Run, uh, you ran Memphis today on a 200-yard blind. Yes, I did. Thank you for that. Yeah. Memphis doesn't know who you are. She just 
knows what to do, and she trusted you enough to do it. And she wants to do it, right? So, like, she loves that stuff. So, it's self-fulfilling for her, too. But she wants to please. But she has to earn it. She wants to earn that praise. And she wanted to earn that little fun bumper you gave her. And she was happy as can be when she saw you do it. You know, the fun bumper Mm -hmm. at the end. She's like, oh, my God, this is great. If she got that fun bumper all the time, that would lose a little bit of value. Um, And if you showered her with love and affection, maybe, for, you know, several days in a row i don't know maybe not because memphis kind of memphis would be the example of she would love to run a blind or a mark no matter what happens but there are plenty of dogs out there that man that swim looks really far i just don't feel like it today that mark looks really far i don't want to run that today but if they know they have to and then after they get it they get your love and affection they want to earn it they're going to do it so Think about that, folks. When you think about eating your favorite meal every single day of the week, every meal of the day, and how little that meal would have value in the end, think about that in the praise of what you're giving your dog. They're earning it all the time for doing literally nothing. When the going gets tough and you're trying to use praise and your encouragement and your love to get them to do something challenging, are they going to do it? Or are they going to be like, yep, still seems scary. Not today. So hold your praise in your back pocket just a little bit. Love them. Unspoken bond, you know, that's what we're all about here. But hold it in your pocket and give it to them when they've earned it. Love and affection are two different things. And I, I, I frequently point that out. I don't tell people to be sparing with their love for a variety of reasons. One, it triggers an emotional reaction to that statement, which will inhibit learning. But I can say, hey, no. There's such a thing as tough love. How about neutral love? Like Love is giving the recipient of that love what they need, not what you want to give. And, yeah, huh? And... Love sometimes is the withholding of affection. One of my favorite things to do with a dog is allowing them to show me love. A lot of people don't think about this. Where it's incredibly important in a very, you know, there's a specific context in which it's really important. Like if you give your dog a correction, creating the opportunity immediately after for the dog to show you love it doesn't mean i'm going to go out to the dog i don't i don't approach the dog i let the dog digest what just happened and i make myself available for the dog to come back and say i'm sorry most dogs will they will they'll come back up to you and i don't pet them i let them pet me so to speak Right? Like I might leave a hand out. Like I got my elbows on my knees right now. I'm just kind of sitting hunched over. My hands are dangling. I'll let the dog come up. And I'm not talking about the dog who sticks their nose in your armpit and moves your hand. That's a dog giving you an obedience command, telling you to pet him. Yeah. I'm talking about the dog who comes up under your extended hand and starts licking it. Their ears are back, their posture is low, and they start nuzzling and licking. 
I'm allowing that dog to give me affection. And then I will give him a little scratch on the ear. Or whatever that dog likes. Maybe that dog likes a little nose boop. A little boop him on the nose. Give him a little scratch under the chin, top of the ear. Whatever he likes. It's up to the dog. It's brief. and It's quick. You want to watch a dog completely change their entire disposition in a fraction of a second. In a very beneficial way. That is oftentimes more valuable and more important to allow that dog to give you that affection than it is for you to give it to them. Because especially if they're, they're second-guessing themselves, like after a correction, to know that, hey, man, I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at all. Because a mad is an emotional reaction. and Really good leaders don't get emotional. I don't like that thing you did. I let you know I don't like it. We're still good, and I'm going to let you know we're still good because I'm going to let you come over here and be polite to me and be affectionate to me, and I will receive your tribute, your affection, and I might even reciprocate for a little moment. That is what would happen in nature. Uh Uh-huh. The alpha wolf coyote whatever in nature would receive gentle love from a dog that they just corrected that dog's going to come up low submissive relaxed almost sorry looking they're saying i'm sorry they're asking for forgiveness yeah and it to to some people it might look like they're scared they're um humanize let's humanize it for a second like Oh, they're scared of him. They're uh, they're slinking towards him. They're they're afraid. No, truthfully, they're not. They're saying, "My bad, my bad." Are we good? Are we good? And they're going to do these behaviors like a little bit of light licking. They're gonna, like you said, ears pinned back, tail a little bit, a lot bit lower. Not necessarily tucked between the legs, but but low, but low, and just. They're going to be a lot more relaxed. They're not wiggling and jumping and pawing. They're just, okay, here we go. Okay, yep, yep, yep. All right, my bad, man. My bad. And you can see it, but you got to be around dogs to feel it. And that's a that's a feel. Yeah. That's a feel. And when you feel it, like you said, you can kind of just praise it gently and then let it be. Let them think about it. And I, I did a podcast with a guy, it was, it was a little bit ago, and he made a comment, and I don't know if I truly believe it. So take that for what it's worth. But he would make a sharp correction. In the field, shit hits a fan. We make corrections. We put the dog up. He will not train that dog the rest of the day. Now, usually, when we're, you ask me, like, is that your normal day today? I'm like, no, nah, that's an easy day. We kind of quit at, like, 3.34 o'clock today. No, that was uh, half a day. But if I had to be tough on a dog, and you saw one dog today that got a little bit of its butt handed to it, and and I pulled it out, and I ran it again, and I said to you at dinner, that dog should have just stayed in the box today. Mm-hmm. Because the rest of that his next session was a little bit like aloof, a little bit unfocused. He wasn't himself. And, and hindsight's twenty twenty, right, guys? But 
when in this guy, I'm sorry, I, I jumped ahead, but this guy's point was if I have to make a really tough correction or we do a really tough session, not even that it was pressure involved, not even if it was stressful on the dog, but like we got a lot out of this session. We crammed a ton of information in that dog's brain and it picked it up and it drank it in and we, we got it. Don't go do something else in three hours. Let the dog sit on it. Run everybody else. Let them sit on it all night. And the next session you pull them out on, repeat what you did. Swim by, T-pattern, D-cheating, you know, whatever. And I know that that's retriever training, you know, terminology for you, so I'm sorry that I, I'm i not going to explain it because. Yeah, the only way I'm going to get it is if I just keep hearing it in conversation. Right. Keep going. Yeah. So these these are very, uh, they're drills, and they're they're hard drills, and it takes a lot of thinking on the dogs and to figure out these drills, right? And so if they have a tough day and they really had to think about it, let them think about it all day long. Let them sit in that box and listen to everybody else get trained. And his thought was that dog's going to decompress, that dog's going to relax, and maybe he's going to think about what he just listened to and did out there. And I think... I don't know. I don't know if dogs are cognitively that smart. I really don't. But they're not dummies. And we can get them to do some crazy cool stuff. So maybe they are cognitively that smart where they can think on that and digest it and come back the next day stronger because you let them think on it. If you come out two hours later and and run landmarks and then, you know, three hours later... They run water blinds, uh, da-da-da-da-da. Did they really let it sink in what happened in the morning session? There's nothing wrong with letting things marinate. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Because I haven't done it enough where I'm like, hey, you've, you have you need to sit this one out now. Think on this. We've done it in bite work. Describe that, man. Talk to me. Yeah, think about, let's, let's look at a different example. Let's look at punishment. So yeah. you just gave an example of like the dog did something great, let him go back in. No, I'm I'm not talking about doing something great. I'm talking about they may not have had a great session. Oh, okay, even better. Yeah. Even better because that fits the example I'm going to give. There you go. Cheers to you all. This one's for you. Dog goes out and uh, misses a bite or breaks a position early. I, I've put the dog in a down and... The dog broke the down, went for the decoy. We're talking about man work here, so not the bird, but the human that he's being trained to bite. And he, he broke. He went early. If our handler is on point and our decoy is on point, he didn't get the bite. That's huge handlers. And I'm sure it's huge for you guys, too. Yeah, we call them denials. You deny the dog to retrieve. But go on. Make sure you deny that that dog does not get a bite for breaking the rules. You put that stinker back in the box. You turn him right around. Okay. And I'm sure it's the same in other contexts. It depends on what level the dog's at. We're talking about intermediate or above. You know, where he has time to think things. He should know better. Yes. He's getting put away so he can learn. That doing dumb stuff ends the game. 
oh, the party's over, buddy. You just stop. <laughs> it's done. It's done. All the ladies left with your fart joke, man. They're not coming <laughs> back. Yeah. Like over. Same principle. Different context, different application, different method, but none of that matters when the principle's the same, doesn't it? Right. How about that? Come full circle. Yeah. Nice job. Yeah, no, we do the same with, with the dogs. If if they break on a retrieve, we're gonna call them back. We're gonna have our bird boy go pick that bird up. They didn't get to get what they wanted because they didn't do what they were told, which is sit. Yeah. And and your point is correct. If it's a puppy, if it's a young dog, we're going to have a little more grace. We're going to teach a little bit more. We're going to show a little bit more. But if, like, for instance, today, Lincoln, who just came off a run in a hunt test, I don't know if you were engaged enough throughout the whole day on every single dog, but I had one dog, stinking Lincoln. Awesome dude. Love that dog. We've had ups and downs, but he came off a hunt test. He's feeling good about himself today. He thought he was at a hunt test, and he was flinchy at the line, and I got him settled in, and he got the first bird. But I'm like, damn, you son of a bee. Like, you're on the edge. Next mark goes off, and he's, like, flexing. I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. I had the bird picked up. He settled back in, calmed down, threw the bird again. He did a good job. He gets the bird. Third bird goes down. Now, even worse this time, I yoked him up, grabbed the, the like, to, what I mean by yoke up, everybody, is I took the tab and I choked him upward, sit, sit. And then I dragged his butt with that tab all the way back to my truck and tossed him in his box. Not physically, like, grab him and throw him like a sack of potatoes, but I wasn't also nice about it. Get in there. Get him. You know, I made him think I was pissed. Get him. No. Knock it off, you son of a... You know. Close the door. That's it, bro. You done. If you don't sit still, if you don't do it, we're... You know... I mean, he isn't a six-month-old puppy. He's two. He's been through this program. Sit still. So, yeah, it's very similar. I think letting him marinate on that was important i came out and we ran a blind the the big blind that we ran he got to run that and his composure coming out of that box was beautiful his line manners coming to the line were imagine that it worked it worked it was beautiful and he ran a damn good blind it was beautiful so yeah it's pretty it's tons of similarities tons of similarities um tell me about like i don't know anything anything about bite work and we had mike from primal canine on and we dabbled in it which we're all buddies kd is a a part of a online show it's kind of like a podcast online it's called drinks and dogs so i'm a big fan of it (laughs) two of my favorite pastimes and i was on their show maybe two months ago ton of fun that was one of my favorite episodes, by the way. Was it? Yeah, yeah, that was good. I had a good time that night. I did too. It was a lot of fun. But Mike 
we've had him on our show, and I, I was trying to pull him into, like, let's talk about bite work, because I don't know anything. I don't know Jack. Let's talk about your experience back in the day when you were getting into it, and I know that, you know, you had mentioned, like, man, I was young and dumb. You know, made mistakes. We all do. Um, but what is what is a bite dog? What what makes a bite dog special? What makes that work exciting? What makes it exciting? That's the easy. That's the short, quick, easy one. It's exciting because you are teaching a dog to use to use behaviors to use a state of mind that all of us are pre-programmed by nature to be really freaking uncomfortable with. If you've been on the receiving end or the business end of a dog with its teeth curled, snapping jaws at you, just even if you've never been bit by a dog in your life, there's something inside of you that says, I should not be comfortable with this. Yeah. Now let's harness that. Whether you're the person holding the leash and teaching a dog to do it under the strictest of control or whether you're the dude in the suit and you're dealing with the business end of it. That's exciting. Even when you don't know what you're doing, it's exciting. When you do know what you're doing, it's more exciting because there's more magic going on. Because the person wearing the suit, the bad guy, He's a sparring partner in the beginning. doesn't matter what type of training you're doing, whether you're training for, and I, I guess this is where we have to like backtrack a little bit. So I answered the exciting part now to give some context. You know, there are dog sports. Schutzend. Now IPO or whatever the letters are here in the United States. French ring, Mondio ring, Belgian ring, KNPV. APPDA, PSA, and now up and coming the new sport in North America that everyone should pay attention to, Canine Street League. Like, these are sports. They are sports that have rules. Like our hunt test. Rules written down on paper that are designed to mimic or recreate things that might possibly be in the real world. Or are designed to exemplify or showcase skills, attributes, talents, and behaviors in dogs that lend themselves to success in real-world applications. Either or. Those are sports. They have rules. It's not real. We have to realize that. It's not real. Why do I make that point? Because just because a dog, and, and many of you have YouTubed, you've seen dogs biting sleeves, you've seen dogs biting suits in various sports that have their tournaments on YouTube. Realize this, it doesn't make it a bad dog, a tough dog, or a rough dog. It's a sport. And for many of those dogs, they know it's a sport. It's like taking your kid to karate, and he goes and he hits the pads. The instructor holds up the pad and he punches the pad and he swings at him and the kid ducks and he hits the second pad. Like, that's all it is. He knows the instructor. He knows he knows he's not going to hurt him. It's a game. 
then you have situations in training where it's not a game. Maybe you're preparing a dog for street readiness as a law enforcement canine, military canine, or personal protection canine, meaning a dog that a civilian owns that they utilize that dog as a layer. Hopefully it's a layer, not the only element of their personal home security protocols. Those dogs are going to be required to do more than participate in choreographed routines with the judges and scorecards. With guys wearing suits who know exactly what's going on and it's all designed to make the dog do this and that. That avenue, the dogs must actually learn to use violence and high levels of aggression to deal with violence and potentially high levels of aggression from a bad guy. The guy who's not scared of dogs. The guy who's too drunk to be scared of dogs. The guy who's had bath salts and PCP and meth all in one and is about to fight your dog back because he's not scared of dogs. In those contexts, we have to teach these dogs to use these behaviors in the state of mind, violence and aggression, to overcome those challenges. That's fascinating to me. Yeah. Because it's so close to what our experience is as humans. And I've often said, you've probably heard, you know, you've watched the Drinks and Dogs, you've heard me go off on this with Mike, you know. I don't understand how a person can train a dog to do that when they've never done it themselves. You know, for years I've participated in combat sports, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, submission fighting. And the lessons I learned in that training, in those competitions, I took right out to the dogs I worked with to teach them how to overcome what might seem like insurmountable pressure, insurmountable levels of aggression from an opponent, and to utilize my own skills, my own attributes, my own perseverance and strength of character to deal with that. And now some people are like, what the heck? We're talking about, I thought this was a dog training. What's he talking about? No, this is dog training. Yeah. This is teaching a dog to do something incredibly dangerous, powerful, and fascinating at the same time. Dogs bite for different reasons. Some bite because they're afraid and they want the bad guy to go away. Some bite because they just like to fight. Yeah. That's the short version. So the the, the discussions we've had you know, today and, and over a few phone calls, you know, you got dogs that bite. You've taught them to bite bad guys. You've taught them to fight the good fight, you know, and, and right there you just laid it out. Dogs have fight or flight animals. We humans have fight or flight. If I'm not going to fight, I'm trying to get the hell out of here. If I can't get out of here, I better step up and do whatever it takes to win. Knuckle up, buddy. Yep. Right? So those dogs are defensive. If they're in the fight or flight mode and they can't get away, then they're going to fight. That's defensive. Then there are dogs who like to fight and they're like the offensive. They're the ones pushing the pace. They're the ones saying, let me at them because this is fun. This is my drive. This is my retrieve that I want so bad. Yep. This is the discussion that we've had, and I, I am so intrigued by 
the discipline and control that these dogs have because the only thing so ixnay the defensive because to me there's no point in talking about that right now no what we're talking about is the offensive the dogs who their thrill is the bite their thrill is the chase their thrill is i'm in control and i'm taking this guy out it's bad to the bone mofo let's say i got a duck dog bad to the bone mofo he wants that duck so bad and he's been so well trained but he'll still make a mistake now and then and and we call it breaking he leaves before he's sent and he goes for that duck it's bad you know we don't want him to break we want him to wait and and have that self-discipline that self-control to wait until i send him he's a team player i'm in control he's he's waiting for me but he wants it so 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 bad he can't hold it in and he goes well in my world shit he's just getting a duck and we fail a test or it's just training and we say no here in your world if he breaks and screws up he's hurt he's hurting somebody talk about building that self-discipline that self-control to contain a dog and have that dog have discipline and self-control during the high intensity want to go bite you get what you want when you do what i want so what do i mean by that now there's two avenues to approach this there's one where there's zero conflict that's a great place to start it's teaching the dog something you had me do today with Memphis. That was the dog's name? Was that the one you ran the blind with? The blind, yeah. Yeah. So you had, you told me that to step up to the line, heal the dog, and if the dog was looking to the left, you know, no. Dog's looking to the right, too far right, no. When the dog's head lined up, good. And when I had the dog's head lined up, the dog was steady, looking in the direction of where I knew the blind was, back, and the dog goes. So when the dog did everything I needed it to do, look in a certain direction, be composed in a certain manner, go send that dog. Go get go get that. Same thing with bite work. I will let the dog will get what the dog wants when the dog does what I want. They break too early. Depending on the dog, I might turn around and put him back in the truck. The exact same thing you guys do. Because they're operating on the same principles. It's something they want really, really bad. And I make doing what I want them to do real easy. And I make them doing what they want to do if it's bad unpleasant or difficult to do like you're not going to and you're not going to be successful at that so that means controlling the environment controlling the training scenario is huge the utilization of very appropriate effective and safe tools and i'm not just talking about like a training tool like a pinch collar or an e-collar talk about making sure you got your dang long line making sure your leash your heart whatever you're using make sure that equipment is sufficient so that if that dog does break they can never achieve success at doing some dysfunctional, inappropriate malarkey 
on your watch. If that happens one time, yep. you got exponentially more repetitions to get it out. They will never forget it, by the way. You, and this is how I like to explain it, to put a little bit of fear in people, to let them know how serious this is. Don't think you're going to erase the dog's memory of that repetition. All you can do is hope to bury it real deep underneath an exponential amount of appropriate repetitions. And you hope that he doesn't dig down deep and try that again. Now, when he does, now I'm going to, now the corrections come in. Now I'm going to make that to be something where the dog says, you know what? That just is not worth it. I don't want to do that. Let me just pay attention to you and do it your way because it's so much more fun. Yeah. Yeah. So Same thing, man. It is the same thing. It's denying the retrieve. It's denying the bite. It's utmost obedience. It's utmost control. It's utmost self-discipline. And then if they make a mistake... They cannot get the reward. And, and for me to, to try and teach people is, let's say you throw a mark. Dog breaks. No, here. They keep running. No, here. Get in here. No, here. They keep running. Now I'm on the collar. No, here. Continuous pressure. No, here. They keep running. Turn that pressure up. No, here. They keep running. Turn the pressure up. No, here. And I've, and simultaneously, I'm on the microphone, my walkie-talkie. You better go get that duck. Get that duck. Run out there. Get that duck. Bird boy. Get that duck. Get that duck. Get that duck. Do not let that dog get that reward. If they get the reward, they win. And like you said, now he knows he can do it. You have to deny the retrieve. You have to deny what they want the most when they defy what you've asked them to do. Sit down. Sit. Not that hard. You've done it since you were freaking eight weeks old with treats. Just sit. Just want you to sit. And then they get older and they get wiser and they want it bad and and they break. No here. But then they become aggressive for it. Different term, different real connotation is the word. I know what you mean. But they're aggressive for that dog. They want that dog so bad. Ooh, I want it. I'm pulling out my Mike Strong. Ooh, brother, I want that duck. Brother, <laughs> I'm going to get him. I'm going to get that duck. And you can't stop me. Well, I better stop him. No matter what. Because if he gets that duck, he's going to pull a Ric Flair, and he's going to be like, woo! That's right. Yeah, dude, that was awesome. Um, I know. Yeah, that was great teamwork. Yeah, no. And so you gotta you got to stop them before they get the reward. Your bird boy's got to run out and get that duck. If you're using wingers, you got to chase that sucker down. You got an e-collar, long lead, like you were saying. Some form or fashion of getting them to stop before they get the reward or else you will always have an ounce of, I can get it, in their brain. Typically, stuff like that won't surface at training day 
Mm. It'll be on trial day. You'll think you got it knocked. You think you buried it. Remember that thing that happened three months ago? Yeah, we're good. We've been training the snot out of it. And so far, the examples have been running parallel. So I'm going to assume they're going to run parallel all the way up to the hunt test or the bite trial where that's when that repetition from six months ago is going to resurface. Yep. Because that's just Murphy's Law, man. That's just how it works. Yep. And one thing I've always found amusing we can spend, we do spend a lot of time teaching dogs desired behaviors, right? Like we teach them to do the things we want them to do. We put the time in, we put the reps out. You know, we were talking in the truck about teaching a simple behavior and comparing the way we, we do it. It involves repetitions, man. Working to get this finished behavior, whether it's a down on a verbal cue, a place on a verbal cue. I'll be darned if a dog doesn't screw, do the wrong thing one time. And they learned, heck yeah, I can get away with it. Like, how is it they're able to learn the undesirable stuff on a single repetition Yep. and become experts at that wrong thing, like how to escape something, how to open a door, how to get loose, anything we don't want them to do. They only have to do it one time, and they're freaking pros at it. And meanwhile, us knuckle-dragging primates are spending repetition after repetition and being proud that it only took 100 to yep. get them to learn the new thing. And that stinking dog will do the wrong thing and learn it on the first repetition. I've always found that to be humorously frustrating and interesting in the same breath. So I'm going to re- reel this into retriever training. Cheating. Cheating is the art of a dog running around uh, a piece of water to get to the duck quicker instead of jumping in the water and swimming to it. So he's cheating to get there faster, okay? I had a mentor that told me it only takes one time to teach that dog how to cheat. It takes a thousand times to teach him how to not to cheat. So when you're setting up watermarks for your young dog, we want to make it black and white, go and come back through the water, and if you allow that dog the opportunity to cheat, they're going to learn that they can. Now it's going to take so much more time to get them to do it right. So build good habits first and foremost because in one time they learn, man, if I run this bank, I'm getting that duck quicker and how I want to do it. And, uh, yeah, you're right. A a bad behavior, a, a... a uh, thing that you don't want, it takes one, two. God. Keeps us on our toes, Bob. Always thinking. You know, at the end of the day, I'm mentally tired from training dogs. It's, it's not a physical game. I'm on my feet all day. I'm walking around. I'm in the sun or the wind or the rain. But it's not physically demanding, but it's mentally demanding. You're thinking about each individual dog, each individual dog's personality, each individual dog's strengths and weaknesses, what they're going to do before they do it, being on time and fair. Every moment of every dog, from the minute you open their dog box to the minute you get done and put them back in, I'm thinking. And the minute you relax... 
Like, for instance, Clark asked me today, he goes, how did Memphis run that blind? Shit, she screwed it up. Because I turned around and made a comment to the people behind me. She was running a beautiful line. I thought she was about to freaking hammer it. And I turned back around a half a second later, and she was screwing up. I lost the focus for half a second. Half a second. And I made a mistake. I made a mistake. She was being a dog. I made a mistake. So the whole time from the truck to the line to the this to the that back to the truck, my brain is on fire on how to make that dog successful and how to teach that dog to do something I wanted to do. So it was very mentally taxing. And I think for the home home guy or gal, realistically, the minute you take that dog out of the crate in the morning when you wake up, how am I making this dog better? Am I letting him rip through my house and jump on the couch and spin circles around my kitchen island and then to the front door to go potty because they're fired up to be out in the morning? Or am I asking that dog to wait until I open the door and tell them they can come out and walk out nicely? Am I letting them get the food when they want or am I asking them to wait for the food? Am I letting them bust through my legs to get out the door to go potty? There's many, like, minute, fine details throughout the day that you could be thinking about to improve your dog's quality of life with you in the home, to make that dog more enjoyable to be around. And it takes mental capacity. And the best slash worst clients I have are the ones who have, oh, I've got a one-year-old, a four-year-old, and a six-year-old, and a six-month-old golden doodle. Or Labrador or what name the breed. It doesn't matter. But their brains are on the kids. Their brains are on getting them ready for school. Their brains are on getting ready for work on top of all the other stuff they got to deal with. So that dog gets to do whatever it feels like 98% of the day. And then they wonder when they need it to do something they want that it doesn't do it. So take the example I'm making of from the truck to the line, to doing the work, to back to my truck, I'm constantly thinking, I'm constantly working, I'm constantly trying to improve that moment into your daily life of waking up and getting them out of the crate. What is it going to be like? Are we going to start the day off crazy? Are we going to start the day off running around my house? Are we going to start the day off not coming back when they're called in the back fenced-in yard? Are we going to end the day by them jumping on the couch and knocking my wine glass over doing wine and cheese with my wife well i mean let's face it a lot of people with dogs like this they're not all sitting with a kennel the dogs that only come out to train and test and hunt you know many people especially these types of dogs Uh, even more so 98 percent, way more so in your case than in the case of like bite work right even though it does happen but i mean we we cannot deny I mean, let's face it, the reason why we want a Labrador is so they can be in the home with us. They can be a part of our family, and we can go do really awesome stuff like you showed me today. So that context of it shouldn't be too much of a stretch to explain to the the viewers who many of them are listening to this, this moment with a dog at their feet that they also do test work with, hunt work with, training with. But right now that dog is at their feet. What is that doing? What dog? What is that dog doing right now at your feet, Mister or Mrs. Viewer? 
What was your day like in the home with that dog? That you might even be on point from the truck to the line to the field. You might have that part under control, but how many of you are struggling in home and you're almost saying to yourself, man, I got this stuff out in the field down. This is the hard stuff. Just can't get them to walk nice around the neighborhood. Just can't get them to stop jumping on the furniture. Can't stop getting them from jumping and knocking the kids down or my mother-in-law. Well, it's the same thing. If you can do it on the field, you can do it in the house. You just need to look at it that way. Couldn't agree more. All right, brother. Tell everybody where they can find you. Instagram is my home. It is the easiest, greatest place to find me at K. D. Matthews with one T M A T H E W S at K D Matthews Instagram or Socratic canine.com. Just type in Socratic canine on your Google browser. You'll find my website. Is it canine like K number nine? No, C A N I N E, however you spell it. The real way. Yeah. No, not you that, not it. the cop way. I dig it. Cool, man. I can't thank you enough for being a part of our show and being here and driving far and what a great experience with great uh, philosophy. And I think that's who you are. And that's why you named your company the name, the way you named it is you're a thinker. You've said the word, I nerd out on this stuff. You're a thinker, man. <laughs> yeah. You're a thinker. And so our, our discussions are cool. Learning from each other is super cool. And uh, I can't thank you enough for being a part of it. I can't thank you enough for allowing me to be a part of it. I mean, you let me run a dog to a couple dogs today. Yeah, tomorrow. I felt like a kid. Yeah, tomorrow will be better. Awesome. Look forward to it. Thank you very much. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Click subscribe. Thumbs up. Leave a comment. Catch you on the flip side. Hey, patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. It's a community that we built to help you and your dog on your journey to next duck season. There's videos that don't hit YouTube. There's happy hours where we drink a couple beers and I answer your questions every other week. And by the way, if you join between now and September 1st, you're entered to win a hunt with me and Kevin and other Patreon members. So jump in, let's go, join the community. We appreciate it and we'll see you there. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.